bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his lovely name. And um, all I can say is that my nerves are near wrecked, <laughs> and um, that probably will be the last time I will ever volunteer to do that, but there we go. Um, yeah. <laughs> was that hooray because I did it, or was that hooray because I promised not to do it? <laughs> Thank you, my brother. <laughs> Always know you will encourage me. When I say sin this morning, I will be looking directly at you. <laughs> Pleasure. Folks, listen, great to see you this morning. And um, great to be in the house of God. And great to come together and just worship. If you're a visitor with us this morning, yes, we are slightly mad, unkilted. Um, but we like it that way. Uh, but so good to see you today. Just to say that you're joining us in the middle of a series that we've been doing for the last while on the book of Acts. It's called Be a Part of the Sequel. And basically what we're doing is we're teaching from the book of Acts as they started out to be a church. We are a new church. And we're just coming to our second year, or almost in their second year from our lunchtime. And, and we've been looking at the book of Acts so that we can see what the early church did, what the early church expected, and how we should live as well. So we're trying to learn some stuff from the, the book of Acts. Um, this morning, we are at chapter 15. And for the sake of time, we're not going to read all the chapter, but if you keep it open, we will refer from time to time to this chapter. But the key thing that we are learning from Acts is this. God has commissioned us. God has a call in our lives. God just doesn't have a call in me as your pastor, but God has a call in each and every one of our lives. God has brought us into a great commission, which basically means this. The very thing that we sang about this morning, about being able to come into God's grace, which basically means God's favor. I think if we, we slide up there that says God's grace, and the Hebrew for it is charis, and it means God's favor. And we have been able to come into God's favor because of his love for us. And church, do you know what God wants us to do? God wants us to take that favor and use that favor that other people know that they can be in God's favor as well. Now, some of you have heard me talk about this before, but you know what it's like to be favored, don't you? Um, and my wee granny, when she was 11, there's no doubt about it, I was a favorite. The sun rose and shone in little old me in my granny's eyes. I used to get a fiver. I think my sister's got a pound. Yeah. And I don't think they know that to this day. I hope our Yvonne's not listening um, online. But, you know, you just could not have said anything about her wee Stephen. In the early days of ministry, I'm nearly embarrassed to tell you this story, but in the early days of ministry, when we pioneered a church in Perth in Scotland, um, nobody knew who we were. and It was very, very hard to get known. And as we opened our first building, we got an opportunity to do a news report. And we had been asked during the basic time when people heard an Irish accent and they heard the name Neil, I often get called O'Neill or Father O'Neill. They thought that I was a local priest because they heard the Irish accent. Once I was asked where was we were Mormons because people didn't know who we were. So in my foolishness, and I'm really embarrassed to say this, but thinking that somehow we needed a bit of credential for the advert for the paper, I donned my clerical collar, which I only wore t a couple of times, one going into prison because I was always afraid they wouldn't let me out. 
And always when I went to, into the, the, the um, what's the word, cupboard, you women give babies. The hospital. <laughs> yeah. I would always wear it because for, I would always get asked, are you the father? In a different way. And I didn't want to be known to have so many children around Perth. So I decided that I would buy a collar so that when I would go into the hospital, they would know that I was the minister. I'll tell you another funny story for free. One day we were down in Newry when we pastored down in Newcastle. And our boys were quite small at the time. And they were singing a wee chorus in the middle of Harry Corey's. And the girl who was serving in the shop said to her, said to them, that's lovely. Did the priest teach you that? And I can't remember if it was Reuben or Jordan. And they went, yes, my daddy's the priest and he's over there. <laughs> so when I went to pay for the goods, all I could really say to the girl behind the counter was, bless you, my child. <laughs> but feeling that we needed some sort of credential or whatever to start this new church, I had donned this collar. And the paper, it was in the newspaper, me standing nearly taking two hands to hold this big holy Bible and a collar. And we were trying to launch this church and I thought we needed credence. But you know, you soon learn, it's God that gives the credence and his Holy Spirit, not by wearing a collar or anything. And not that there's anything wrong with wearing a collar, but I was quite foolish, quite young and all the rest of it. But my granny loved this photograph. And do you know why some people, when you go into their house, there's the sacred heart of Jesus or the Pope or the Queen or from whatever side you're on. Well, my granny had this up on her wall. And I used to get so embarrassed. I used to go in the and say, Granny, would you take that photograph down? That's so cringeworthy, embarrassing. Please take the photograph down. And we have a family friend. And every time we would go into my granny, he would look up at the photograph and he would just wind my granny up. He would say there, Ach, look at him. Betty, he's taking money out of the offering and all. <laughs> look at him. It's like butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. Well, my granny would go from naught to 60 in three seconds. Don't you talk about her, Stephen? Because Granny favoured her grandson, just loved her grandson. And you know, God's favour is upon us, church. God's favour is upon you. If you are in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you've given your life to Jesus, and he has called you, and you said, I will follow, and you're in relationship with him, that you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know this morning that God's grace God's favor is upon you. He has set his sight upon you. He loves you. He adores you. He gave himself. And that's why we sang about the blood this morning, about Christ shedding his blood for us, because God loves us. And he has given us his grace, his favor. Not what we deserved. We deserve to die, but instead he died in our place that we could experience his favor, and his grace. This morning I want to look at this passage in chapter 15, and I want to point out four things within this, because I would love us to become and to be known as a church of grace. That we would be a grace-giving church. That we would be a church who would favor people. Do you know, friends, you know that what we, we value, we value God's presence. And I think God's presence being among us shows God's favor. We value people, his people, everybody out there. We value those people. And we need to allow them to experience the favor of God as well. And we value the purposes of God. And I believe the purpose of God for us as a church is we go out there and we express God's favor to those around divided. I want this to be a grace 
faith-filled community of people, a community of grace. But we are going to learn in this chapter this morning that in fact that there are those who can become grace killers. There are those who become grace restorers. There are those who are grace comforters. And there are those that will give grace. And unfortunately, even in the house of God, there are those that will withhold grace. But I want us to work hard at showing the favor that God has given us to each other and to the community that God has called us to be in. Do you know, every church has its problems, don't they? Every church at times will come to a place of maybe conflict. And here we see in this early church, there started to be a place of conflict over a theological issue. There were those, as we read in the first few verses of chapter 15, who believed Jewish people, who believed that if the Gentile people were going to get saved and were going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that it would be only right that these men would be circumcised. One way to close your men's ministry. <laughs> Try to start that one, Dinky. <laughs> New rule. <laughs> yeah, that's the end of the men's ministry right there. <laughs> and these people who were Jewish people but fell in love with God, thought, well, we kept to the laws of Moses. Surely when these Gentile people, and it's great that God's doing some stuff among them, but surely they too should come under that same thing. And as a sign, they should be able to be circumcised. And it caused such a stir within this young Christian community that all the heads, all the, the apostles and all the elders gathered together and to have a debate, to have some talk around this whole issue because they knew these young Gentile Christians were filled with the Spirit, were moving in God, great things were happening, but did they really need to have something from the old law placed upon their lives? And the outcome of that debate, that theological debate, was found in verse 11. And they said this, it is through the grace, the favor of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. That's the only thing that saves us. It's the only thing that's going to get you right with God, is the fact that God will show his favor upon you. And yet so often, and even in church, and no matter you know, how young a church may be or how young a movement may be, friends, eventually we pick up our own traditions. We pick up our own quirkiness. And you know, but some of those things sometimes can end up being just the way circumcision was a noose and all the laws that the Jewish people would have had to carry and the, the apostles didn't want them to carry all that bondage into their new faith. This could have been something that would have brought people into bondage rather than freedom. You know, when I went to Bible college um, well over 30 years ago, um, in the early 90s, or 80s, uh, late 80s, early 90s, um, we came from good old Northern Ireland. And in those days, it was back in the day when even women wore hats to church. And you wouldn't have gone to church, and I know in our church where we were brought up, I mean, the girls that we sang in a group, Georgie's here this morning, you wouldn't have got on the platform without a hat tree, you wouldn't, Georgie, you'd have got a good telling off. And we were all suited and booted in those days. And we went over to England to the Bible College to worship. And there was all these people going to church in their jeans and their T-shirts and, and all the rest of it. But we were all suited and booted with shirts and ties and all the rest of it. But there used to be a bit of a, a joke about the Irish people, about the ties that bind us. 
And the English felt that they had been liberated and they didn't have to wear suits anymore and shirts and ties and all the rest of it. And, you know, after a while, I suppose, as time goes on, look around this morning, there's a lovely mixture and let's keep the mixture, church. Because, do you know, at the end of the day, it's not about your suit, it's about the fruit. Okay? And what they were trying to say to us is, you don't need to dress like that to come to church. And that is true. But in the same sense, friends, there was still a binding there. We had to go their way instead of just being free because it wasn't about circumcision, about faith to really enjoy God. It wasn't about what you wore to to enjoy God. It's about the fruit of your heart. It's about your relationship with Lord Jesus. It's about being under favor. All those eternal stuff mean nothing. It's about where your heart is with God. And just so we know, can I just say, if you're here and you love to wear a shirt and tie, can I ask you to keep wearing your shirt and tie? And if you like to dress ladies in a lovely suit to come to church, can you keep doing that for me? Because I'll tell you why. Somebody's going to walk into church some Sunday morning and that's the way they're going to dress. It's the first time they come into church and they're going to think, oh, well, I don't look out of place. And see all you lovely guys that wear your jeans and your t-shirts and all the rest of it, can I ask you to keep wearing your jeans and your t-shirts and do what you do best because somebody's going to walk through that door for the first time some Sunday morning and they're going to wear a t-shirt and a pair of jeans and if they looked around and saw everybody wearing shirts and ties, they're going to feel so out of it. Let's keep the mix. Because the truth is, it's not what we wear, it's what's in here. It's our relationship with the Lord Jesus. It's not about external stuff. And that's what these guys are getting across. It's not about the externals. It's about the internal. It's about our walk with God is the important thing. And they were wanting to bring these people into freedom. But there were some of these people who were trying to nearly bring these people into bondage again. I heard a story about a year or two ago about a lady who belongs to a church who holiness is, which should be in all our churches, but is a very main key to a denomination. And this lady was passing away then, and she passed this on to another girl who then felt she had to take this mantle on the church that everybody had to act right and do right and all the rest of it. And for years, this girl lived under this bondage of feeling because some older lady had passed something to her that she had to live under something that only the Holy Spirit can do. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin, judgment, and righteousness, not us. And yes, we look to God's Word and we get strength from God's Word and we're going to see some of that in a wee minute or two. But friends, God wants us to live in the freedom of our faith, not to live under bondage of love. Or somebody else's way of thinking how we do it. We need to do it God's way. And that's why we come. So the answer to the grace killers was God's Word, You're saved through faith of God's favor. Are you glad this morning, church, you're under God's favor? Are you glad you live under the favor of God? Thank you, Jesus. Then, friends, we see the grace restorers. These guys had this debate. They came to this place where they thought that this is the best way to go. It's not about circumcision. It's about the favor of God. Let's live under the favor of God. But also these guys knew that these Gentile people were coming into the church and they were coming in with such loose morals. They were living in the Roman times. Church, see in the Roman days, we think today's bad. I'm not so sure it was any worse than in the Roman days. Because in the Romans, when they invaded the world and they invaded everywhere, they basically had a, a license to do whatever they wanted to do when it came to morals. Sleeping with Ryan was okay. Not having one partner, it was okay. 
going into all forms of idolatry where many there would be male prostitutes, there would be female prostitutes, and going there as an act of worship, that's okay. Nothing wrong with any of that. That's all okay. And they accepted it if, like, but that's everybody's right. Everybody should live the way they want to. Everybody can throw caution to the way, and you live whatever way you want to live. You do your own thing because there's no moral compass for any of us. And these people, who the Gentile peoples, who had got saved were coming into the church, and then you have all these Jewish people, and they were so strict. Remember the time when they came, the Gentile people from Cornelius' household came to get the servants of God to come with them? It says, I think it's in, in chapter 9 of Acts, that they waited at the gate. You see, they knew Jewish people were so exclusive, they were so stringent at everything that they believed, that these Gentile people, when they came to the house, they waited at the gate, almost thinking, we, we can't mix with you, we're not welcome here, we, we, we can't come in. And yet God always, and we, we see in chapter 15, verses 16 to 18, God, even from the time of the prophet Amos, God is saying that there's going to be a day where I'm going to restore relationship. It's not just going to be Israel. It'll be Gentiles. It'll be everybody that can come into salvation. Now, here's the first church, and they're dealing with this issue. Here you've got these very straight-laced people, these Jewish people who, you know, keep all these laws, who, who won't touch blood, who, who have all of these things about purity, and then you've this group of people who live whatever way they wanted to live in their past. And they're coming together to be one church. So here in the midst of this, these men, and I think this is amazing, although they tell them, you know, you are in faith because of the favor of God, but they look for compromise without compromising the faith. Do you hear that, church? They looked for compromise without compromising the faith. And today, we, friends, when we come to conflict, at times we need to be able to compromise, but not the word of God. The word is our final authority, and we need to work around that, and we need to live in that, and be in that place. And these guys were restoring grace within these people. So they decided, okay, the Gentile people, you do not need to be circumcised. But what we will say to them is we will give them some things that's important that they drop and they leave behind. And they need to know they need to drop this stuff. Now, for some of this, for us today as Christians, it might not have the same relevance, but it definitely had relevance there in those days. And the first one was this, that they shouldn't eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Now, we would find it very hard today getting into Tesco's and finding that that slab of beef or whatever, wherever you get your meats, had been sacrificed to an idol. But in those days, they would have been. And they encouraged these new people, these new Christians, not to do that because for the Jewish person, they would only go to kosher meat. They would only go to meat that was eaten. And God was saying, look, there's nothing unclean anymore, but Jews have to fellowship. You have to eat. So he said, look, to help the Jewish Christians get over this, can you Gentile Christians make sure when you get together and be together, don't serve meat that has been sacrificed to idols because that's going to offend your Jewish Christian brother. Don't do that. Make sure you don't do that. 
And then he starts to talk to them as well about the other side of that as well, about anything that's strangled. Now, I don't know too much. Uh, Ken maybe tell us more about this, but I believe what happens is if an animal is strangled, the blood clotulates in the veins, therefore there's blood. And again, the Jewish people saw that life was in the blood and they didn't eat blood. So therefore, again, they're saying, look, don't bring meat to the table, even if it's not sacrificed to a god. Don't bring something that has been um, strangled. Make sure it's been kosher, slaughtered properly, the blood's out of it, and that's okay. Then there was more. He was saying to them as well, make sure that you don't eat blood. Don't eat blood at all. And again, in their culture too, there are people that when they sacrificed an animal, sometimes they sacrificed the blood to demonic forces. So you can imagine to the Jewish people all of this blood, and they're told they can't touch blood in their old background. And then there's other health reasons as well. Do you know even today there are an African tribes who drink blood regularly? I know. They do it regularly. But you know, friends, most of those people die in their 30s of illnesses that most of us have in our 70s and 80s. Because blood carries so many bad things sometimes within it, within an animal. And if you're drinking an animal's blood, you're going to get ill. So there was a good health reason why these Gentile people were saying not to do these things. But you know, beyond the health thing, all the time, the Apostle Paul is saying, you have come from two different groups, but we want you one. So we better compromise within you so that you can stay one and be one and be a good people who will follow God. Third thing was sexual immorality. God was teaching these people to live different. And remember, these people were coming for a time when they would literally, their morals were so loose, they would be sleeping around, they would be doing all sorts and getting out. There was no commitment to one person. And yet, God was trying to teach these people something, even by saying to them, about changing their morals because it was something to do not just with God wanting to be a killjoy. You see, God is the author of sex. God gave sex between a man and a woman for mutual encouragement, for affection, for love, all of those things, for intimacy. And what the Lord was trying to teach these people was this. That just as he wanted them to be faithful to a partner, so he wanted them to be faithful between one another. Paul talks more about this later on in Corinthians. He says this in Corinthians 6 verse 9. He says, Or do you not know that the wrongdoer will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral are adulterers, are adulterers, nor men that have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers, will, with inherit, will inherit the kingdom of God. That seems so harsh. That seems so heavy. But I want you to listen to this next verse. Verse 11. And that is what some of you are. But you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You see, what it tells us is this. God is favor on us. And I want you to hear this this morning. It doesn't even matter. And that's probably more relevance to us in our day when we live in such a loose sexual society. This is more relevance for us in our day than maybe even for the guys earlier on. But what it is saying to us is this. 
God in his favor to us, no matter what way our lives were before, no matter what we've done in our past, seeing God's favor, when we come to him in repentance, God can cleanse us from everything. There's not a thing. There is opportunity to change. There's opportunity to have our past forgiven. And God in his favor draws us to himself. And I want you to notice something on down. If you've got your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want you to know this because God restores people and we're people to encourage other people to be restored to that grace as well. He says this in verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For he said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. You see, friends, there's a reason why this grace restoring God is saying, I don't want you to be promiscuous. I don't want you to be doing those things because when you join yourself with somebody else, there's a part of you stays in them and a part of them stays in you. He says, but I want you to be set apart for me. I, who favor you, want you to have an exclusive relationship with me. And we know because of the verses before, even when we haven't been exclusive in grace with God, God does forgive. God will change. God will do that redeeming work within us. God will change it. But what he's trying to teach these people, and he's teaching us today, he wants us to be exclusive with him. That favor he gives to us, he wants us to return that favor to him. He wants our relationship to be more about him and us than anybody else. Go on down there to verses 19 and 20. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Jesus gave us all for us in Calvary. He shed his blood for us in Calvary. He gave all of him for us. And what he's saying to us is this. I have favored you with all that I am. Will you favor me with all you are? Will you stay with true love for me and show me your favor and keep pure before me? These were some of the things that these guys were doing to restore relationship and grace with these people. And although those things may seem, well, pastor, you're saying that, you know, we're free from laws, but are they not laws? But can you see this morning why those laws are there? Why those things are there? Because it's all to do that God loves us so much. God wants us to live a life totally for him, free from him, to honor him after all that he has done for you and I. These men, some of them have been grace killers, but these men were looking for a way and what they were trying to do by doing all of this was this. They were looking for a way that they could compromise some stuff around, that they could be of one heart and one mind to move on in God. They were looking for a way for two complete different lifestyles for people to come together in unity and follow God. And you know, friends, it worked. It brought two groups of people from very different backgrounds, one together in Christ by doing those things. And church, you know something? We always need to work to become closer, not to alienate each other, but to work to become closer. Because you know something, church? We have a big mission. 
We have a big commission to see people one for Calvary. Let's do our best to work together, to stay together. And when there's times things come up, let's look to see how can we do this for everybody's benefit without compromising God's word for the glory of God also. So we've grace killers, we've grace restorers, and then we've the grace comforters. As you read through this passage of scripture, you'll see that in chapter 15, there's the letter that is written here. We see it is, is written at verse 22. And basically, this letter is written to be sent to these Gentile Christians that they would have comfort, that they would know the answer to this big meeting that everybody was having about whether they needed to be circumcised or not circumcised. But you know, they just didn't send it by Mediterranean mail. We read here that Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Judas all these guys go together to take it to these Gentile people to talk to them about what had happened and what they were doing. And you'll find that it says there in verse 32, they exhorted, they encouraged, and they strengthened one another. They didn't come to rebuke them. They didn't come to pull them down. But they came together to build these young Christians up. Now, you've heard me say this before, church, and we need to listen to this. Do you know... Sometimes seeing people come to faith is easy, but because when the Spirit of God moves on somebody's lives and somebody's challenged to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, some people may struggle for a while under conviction, but see when they move from that place of disbelief to belief to following Jesus, that's the lovely easy bit. And you know, sometimes it's easy to go fishing and catch the fish, but the part that's not so easy is the gutting of the fish. Who likes the gut fish? No. And so, friends, the process of making a decision in a service on Sunday or outside or with a friend to say, I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus, that's the easy bit. But that person then becoming a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, like these Gentile people, had to leave some of their past behind and keep it well in their behind so that they could have fellowship with God and a fellowship with the other Jewish people, the Jewish Christians, there is a time of approval. There's a time of change. There's a ch- time of learning. There's a time of getting it right. And church, when September comes and we launch out to reaching into our community, when people become Christians, decide to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in this house, can I ask you for some favor on them? Because you know something? They're going to come in here and they're going to say things that... They think it's okay, because they've always said it that way, and they don't know that maybe we don't say things that way. I don't want us tutting or going, that's a favor on them. Let's realize that they're on a journey too, and they need their, they will talk about stuff that maybe they think's okay and thought, well, everybody believes that today, so maybe the church believes that too, and that's okay. But it's not what God's word says. Let's show them favor. Because they have to learn to come to that place of understanding too. And we need to be people that are called grace comforters. That we will come alongside. And we will show them from the word. We will give them time to get used to what God's word is saying. We will watch them and cover them and care for them. And walk alongside them that they become strengthened in the things of God. Just like these servants of old. Let's be like that today. And then finally, friends, and our time's almost up. 
They were those who gave grace and those who withheld grace. I think this is incredibly sad, but yet God is incredibly good. Paul and Barnabas, two great mighty men of God. There you see, they're together and they're strengthening these young Gentile Christians. But it's time for them to move on and do something different for God. And when they go to set off on their next missionary journey, Barnabas says, come on, we'll take Mark with us. Now, do you remember who Mark was? Mark was the guy, do you remember, as they pushed on into their early first missionary journey, Mark decided, "Um, I'm going home. We don't know, he missed his mom. We don't know if the thought of doing that Asia path and that mountain terrain put him off. He knew the dangers of bandits and all the rest of it. We don't know what it was, but this young man went home. And yet at this time, as Uncle Barnabas is saying, come on, we'll take Mark with us this time. Mom, we'll give the kid another chance. And Paul's like, no. He deserted us. Not happening. We're not taking him. And we actually see these men who were both together encouraging this group of young Christians themselves have this fallout. And yet when you look at it doctrinally, they were able to sit together and sort some stuff out. But yet sometimes personally it can be harder. Church, we need to be honest this morning and, and say, you know, times being with each other in relationships can be really, really difficult. But there's a couple of things here this morning. One is this. It shows us that even our leaders can get it wrong. Even the best can get it wrong. But we thank God that even though this horrible situation happened and there was this conflict between two godly men, and I'm sure Barnabas must have been gutted. I'm sure, and it's not written here, and I'm surmising, and so give me a wee bit of license this morning. Don't stone me if this is theologically wrong. But let's face it. I'm sure Barnabas at some point must have said, Paul, see when the rest of the disciples didn't want you and were afraid of you and were scared of you because you were out murdering their friends. Paul, I stuck up for you. I stood for you. I gave you a chance, and now you won't give young Mark a chance. But even in this sharp conflict and this division, church, I want you to see this because we know division happens. But God took that division and God still used it for good because two different areas were reached for God. What the enemy meant for harm, God used for good. But it does teach us as well, friends, that even the best can get it wrong. Isn't that right, Betty? For those that aren't in that wee joke for a few weeks before our ladies were going away, Betty had me all confused, told me the wrong date. And every Sunday, I made sure she knew the right date. And then there was one Sunday I got up and I gave the wrong date. And I sat down, I had a wee tap on the shoulder, and she said, see, Pastor, we all can get it wrong. (laughs) Oh, we love you. (laughs) And church, that's the truth. There's not one of us that can't get it wrong. But thank God again in his favor. Thank God in his grace. God can still take what the enemy meant for harm 
And God can use it for his good. Amen, church? God can use it for his good. But here, that's not the end of the story. These two men might have separated and gone their different ways. But you know something? Years later, I think there was a change in Paul's heart about young Mark. Because twice he mentions them and one time he says, bring him to him because he's helpful to me. God changed Paul's heart towards this young man. I want to just interject with this this morning. Maybe you feel that you never got a chance that you should have got. Maybe you did get it wrong once and you feel it's been held against you. Maybe you're fearful that people will hold the past against you. Church, if God forgives us, how can we not forgive someone else? If God believes in us, how can we not believe in someone else? And that's why for us at East Point Church, I want us to be a community of grace. A place where people will know, no matter what their past, no matter what their struggle, that they can experience the favor of God. But church, do you know what that means for us? It means that we have to be honest people. And as much as we live in the favor of God and love the favor of God, we also need to remember there was a day and there was an hour when we got it wrong. There was a day and there was an hour where we needed our sins forgiven as well. Back to Corinthians chapter 6, but such were some of you. There's a list of stuff there that God writes in his word, but then he says, but such were some of you. In other words, for every single thing that a person falls and sins with, God is saying, it can be redeemed, it can be changed, you can be brought in to my favor. And if God shows us his favor, who are we to withhold God's favor and God's grace from anybody else? Church, let's be a people of grace. And if conflict arises among us, Let's do God's word. Matthew 18. But let's remember the purpose of Matthew 18. And let's think about what these men were doing when there was this theological difference between them. They were wanting to get unity. They were wanting them to come together that they could strive to move on as one before God. And Matthew 18 says in the first instance, when something happens between us, we want to go to that person because we want to win them. We want to win them. And church, let's be a church of grace that will show favor to one another, that will do our best to go out of the way, to win each other and to keep each other going on doing what God wants us to do. Philippians 2, 3 to 4 says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but to each of the interest of each others. Again, Look at Romans 12, 8, 12 and 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Carefully consider what is right in the eyes, not of you, but of everybody. And if it is possible on your part, live at peace with everyone. So there's an onus for us to make it right for everybody and to live in peace with everyone if the onus is upon us. But pastor, they wronged me. But pastor, they did this on me. 
Verse 19 says this, and we hope that people will get forgiveness and grace and walk now. And sometimes, as we know, church, sometimes that doesn't happen. But this is what verse 19 says. Do not avenge yourselves, beloved, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And sometimes, friends, yes, thankfully, Paul and Barnabas, it looks right, they came good again about Mark. Sometimes things don't work out. But church, it's not our place then to show bitterness and unforgiveness. It's our place to show favor and keep showing forgiveness. Keep showing grace. Walk in grace. Live in grace. Be a gracious people because that's what God has called us to be. East Pointers, we're going to be a community of grace. Are you with me? We're going to be a community of grace. Let's learn to live, not be grace killers, but be grace restorers, grace comforters, and let us be a people who are known to be a people of grace. I don't know about you, but I want to belong to a church like that. Yeah. And do you know something? Church, sometimes that, and we're going to be honest this morning, that means we'll have to work at it. That means... Just like these boys had to have a conference over some issues sometime, come together, sit in a room and thrash it all out, not walking away from the table, but getting into the table and thrashing it all out. But they were looking for a way to move ahead. For us and our future, let's always be a people known as a people of grace, just the way God has shown his grace to us.